Hi, this is John J.P. Podlasic of Game Dev Advice. I'm a 30-year veteran of the game development industry and have a podcast where I interview artists, animators, programmers, designers, CEOs, and all different types of people that work in the game development industry. Whether you're an aspiring or an experienced game developer, you'll find useful, thought-provoking, and sometimes funny advice on the podcast. So check it out. This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. What's up, Argonauts, and welcome to another episode of Arcast Mini. So this is uh, basically like a mini episode uh, that's focused on one particular topic. Uh, in this particular case, uh, as you can tell from like the title of this episode, uh, all about Telltale and basically what happened with that. And I am here with my good buddy here, Nathan Ortega, who used to work at Telltale. So how's it going there, Nathan? Oh, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. How about you, man? Doing all right, doing all right. Uh, although I, I think both of us are kind of like in, in a luckier situation than like a lot of the people who are let go, like over at Telltale, just like uh, three weeks ago, and uh, even just like a week ago, I believe it was like the remaining staff who got let go too. Correct. I f- believe there's only the barest of bare minimal skeleton crew people there um, in like a business capacity, from what I gather. Um, everybody in any kind of creative or production capacity was was let go recently. So I mean. I think it's like maybe 10 people there now, but it's sort of like the old man in the lighthouse kind of thing. Like they're only really there, I suspect for legal purposes and, or to kind of make sure that they can still make money off of the already released products that are on the market for the time being, the digital sales Um, and all that stuff. Yeah. Right. Right. The most recent, the, the last thing being produced in that, in that company was the port of Minecraft story mode to Netflix Mm-hmm. Uh, which I gather was already close to being done prior to the to the layoffs, and this was just them seeing it to the finish line before exiting the company. So yeah, because that was like they they were like under contract to like finish that up, so they kind of like had to get that done no matter what, pretty much, right? Right. From what I gather, I'm I'm uh, a certain amount of money must have exchanged hands um, at the initial sort of courting period of Netflix with, with Telltale. And that was the beginning sort of testing ground for like how how their relationship might be able to be explored in the future with something that's already been produced and a lot cheaper to, to just get out there. I think people are assuming that there was new creative content being made with Minecraft for Netflix, uh, at at the cost of not finishing walking dead. And that's simply not true. Like, Like that, those are two different projects, and one cost a lot less and had way, way less people necessary to make it happen. Um, yeah. Although, do yeah. you do you think like as far as like um, I guess like the focus of the company? Because obviously, like there was like a lot of criticism like with the company kind of like uh, having like their um, having too many uh, hands into too many cookie jars. I guess uh, is, is, the, is the analogy I'm going with. Um, there, yeah, I feel like that tends to get 
very cloudy. I think a lot of gamers don't really understand what was happening over there um, when during the years post Walking Dead season one, where there was this sort of like sentiment that oh, it's too many too many things Telltale's putting out at once. They're they're making too many titles at the same time. That wasn't really true. They rarely ever had more than two series being produced at a, at a, at a time, and they did have enough staff to do that. And I don't think that amount of projects going on at the same time was the problem. Um, there are lots of problems that occurred there that led to them not being solvent and, and kind of bleeding out the way they have. But I don't think people, people had this illusion that they were making five or six or seven different series at the same time. And that's not true. They announced things that they'd weren't in active production for many years. Like the Marvel deal happened like, two or three years at least before they actually ramped up production on guardians. Um, same thing with the, with the Batman series. And, and they, they rarely ever were more than they would, they would have like sort of a stack development of two series at a given time. I think the craziest it ever was, was when Minecraft was getting ramped up while they were still uh, finishing up Gar- uh, game of Thrones and borderlands. Right. But those were, those were kind of, they were tapering off production and needed less people working on it at that time. So that I don't think that that was necessarily an issue. It, um, amount of projects being made, or even I mean, one would argue that maybe they staffed up too much, um, and the problem wasn't necessarily going to get solved by throwing bodies at it. But uh, th- it was never a case of uh, th- gamers because the video games industry can be so secretive. Uh, don't have a grasp of what actually happens during the production of a particular title, um, and I think Telltale was a great example of how misinformed people can be by nature of uh, these companies not talking about what they're actually doing at any given time. And sort of like, it's all an illusion. It's all about the image that they're putting out there. And and it was was frustrating for me working there, not being able to speak to people about how those misconceptions were unfair. You know, Mm -hmm. those like people like who are like outside of the, of, of the industry entirely pretty much at that point. Um, right. Which, 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 which I kind of like wanted to get into actually, like with like your your time there. Now, um, you were you're basically like a community manager there, right? Right. I was the community manager slash influencer person, so I worked with like YouTubers and stuff, and and it was pretty much like a bit of a jack of all trades with marketing. It's it's all the stuff that is like fan focused was all, everything I was involved in. So that meant like going to conventions and and helping us run our booths and and pan, you know Comic Con panels things like that, but also running the forums, social media, everything that had to do with sort of engaging fans, I was I was involved in. So you were very much like in the front line, pretty much as far as like fan gripes and like things like, oh, you know, absolutely. for example, like with like, because I remember with, with, like the, with like the Wolf Among Us, for example, uh, that um, uh, there was like a big like delay, I think, between like episodes, like there was like a three month delay or something like that. Um, so like, I, I, I imagine, uh, like, I, I guess, um, like the main thing I wanted to kind of ask, like in, in regards to that is that what was kind of, kind of like the main gripe that you were hearing that you felt like was very justifiable as far as like how the company was being run? I feel like externally, the biggest complaints tended to be that um, the games weren't polished enough. They tended to have a lot of sort of jankiness visually and just like there's a lot of like there's a clunkiness to the way that engine ran that um, caused a lot of complaints for people. There's obviously the choices don't really matter sentiment that was always going to be a problem because I think an interactive narrative inherently is always going to have this challenge of like how divergent do you make it? Um, while not letting your production costs go completely insane, 
and make like 50 different possible variants for the, the plot to go in in different directions. And when you look at the data behind the scenes, often you see that most people don't play through a game more than once and they don't uh, tend to really notice a lot of this diversion uh, content. There's like a lot of like critical paths that these stories will go that most players will experience. And, you know, often if you make a bunch of different other variables, more often than not, people don't explore those and, ex- and experience that content. And so what are you spending the money to make all that divergent content for if most people don't experience it? It's right. sort of the a, a philosophical challenge that people making interactive narratives have to tackle. Um, and they go about it in different ways. The biggest cha- problem is that I think Telltale became the poster child for this particular issue because they were sort of not quite triple a from a funding standpoint and so the production values and everything were not quite triple a but they weren't quite a visual novel or or a dating sim or or one of these like kind of indie interactive narratives that maybe the, the the production costs are a lot lower so they're able to be more divergent as a result uh compared to something like a triple a game where like the big the more you know the bigger you make it and the more the, the higher fidelity of the graphics and, and the more tr- you try to sort of expand that experience from a production standpoint, it just gets insane from a budget mm-hmm. issue. So and I imagine too, I, like I from, think, from, like from the expectations of like the fans as well in that case, like as they see like, you know, like the success of the company through like the walking dead, for example, and like as, as, right. as things are kind of getting bigger and ramped up with like more, more properties to work with and all that stuff. Right. And, and so the, there was this illusion that they were doing better than they were financially. I mean, Walking Dead season one definitely sold like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and, but everything after that, uh, I think the problem is people assume that these deals are getting made, that they were raking in money hand, uh, you know, hand over fist. But I can I can tell you for sure that the numbers I saw that's not the case. Um, yeah, because I I actually looked look, looked at, at like the numbers myself too. Like when when the whole thing was going down with like the layoffs and all that, and um, you know you, you could see like the Walking Dead season one like their sales were like you know just just you know just just through like uh, through the roof. Um, mm-hmm. But um, you know everything like after that it was just like you know like a steep drop and then it was just kind of like slowly going further and further down like just kind of like a very slow like like decline. Um, right. So like. Uh, I, I guess I'm kind of curious on your take, like with what kind of like attributed to that. Like, do you think it's fatigue? Do you think it's because um, maybe like the company like kind of like relying too much on like the same formula and like just like you know fans getting tired of it? Like- I don't think a lot of their core fans got tired of it necessarily. I just think that they were getting the problem is that the production schedules were never adjusted to the way they develop things internally, and more. And I can at least tell anecdotally from my experience. Um, I, I was in executive meetings where they would review an episode and there were, there was a bit of a bottleneck creatively uh, in terms of sort of like how, you know, basically there was a handful of people that would c- could blow up an episode and make them start over almost from scratch. If they felt like it was going in a direction that they didn't think was fitting for the project. Mm. And so more often than not, you would see these things where like one, one person could, torpedo months of work in an instant because they weren't digging it and they would have to start over from scratch just about and then they would still have to meet those deadlines and so rather than refining what was already being created a lot of times people were just scrapping entire chunks of an episode and and scrambling to get it done on time and then they would just they would basically get right under the wire so that's where you get these sort of like janky inconsistent buggy messes of, of episodes where 
if they were given the time to refine it and only focused predominantly on, you know, like minor structural things instead of just completely saying none of this is working, start over. And also you still have until next month to get it done. Like that was to me, I felt like the biggest, the biggest uh, hindrance to them making these projects profitable because more, I mean, you're thinking about, you know, a studio with 400 people working at any given time, two thirds of those at least were people in working actively in a creative capacity on these projects. All there were the the time they spent on that particular version of the of the episode goes out the window, mm. and that is that is just that is so like short sighted. And I and I think that this is just from my perspective as a marketing community person. I always got frustrated that I felt like they weren't focusing on how to make the thing they were making better. They were busy real uh, pointing out how much they didn't like whatever they were being shown, and that was. And I, and I feel like I don't think the product was necessarily any better for it creatively. I mean, I know that some people I talked to that worked there definitely felt like sometimes that actually worked to its benefit if they were kind of like completely missing the mark creatively on a particular story or, or subplot or what have you. And they were happy to be able to have the extra time to go back and, re, and, and you know, take another crack at it. But as somebody whose job it was to channel the community's complaints, issues, frustrations, and also their wants, um, a lot of times I felt like I, that wasn't getting listened to enough. Um, it was actually getting off, often ignored in lieu of the personal vision of, of an individual or series of individuals who had political clout there enough to do that. And, right. and, and I feel like the builds I would play early on and the builds that I would get later were not necessarily that much better from a structural narrative, emotional standpoint. And then they also weren't given the time needed to make it the most polished, smooth, uh, professional version of that vision. So I was like, why, why are we doing this? Was always the frustration that I experienced. And I, and I wasn't the only one. A lot of people were like constantly going, well, yeah, this is different, but isn't any better. Right. Well, that that's um, it, you know, it's interesting that they bring that up actually, because I know that like toxic management is like one of the reasons, uh, you know, like from 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 industry insiders really, um, as far as like why Telltale was kind of like on that downward slope and why eventually it ended up like leading to its bankruptcy. Um, mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I guess with some, you know, as someone like who worked on on like the inside, what what can you say in regards to like the claims of toxic management that was there? I can totally, I totally corroborate pretty much everything i've read yeah <laughs> about the thing uh it's most of the people that worked at telltale were amazing wonderful people that honestly are some of the most talented empathetic wonderful funny awesome people i've ever worked with and a lot of those people say the same thing the people were why they stayed there the the working conditions were not why they stayed there um the the, the problem is specific individuals a lot of times tended to be people who were in charge of a particular department or team or what have you, the ones that are sort of like, you know, higher ups often mimicked a a series of toxic behaviors based on their leadership in order to survive. And I think that that taught them all the wrong lessons about how to exist within that ecosystem. So like it only took one person near the top to kind of poison the well for everybody. And so then that would spiral, that would sort of like web out into a series of, of department leaders um, that basically were more fixated on keeping their job than doing their job or or being a good manager. You know, a lot of people there, from what I saw, 
tended to not the, the people who got handed le- leadership positions often never had any leadership experience previously. Um, I know I personally went to my to the HR department on uh, more than a few occasions, uh, filing complaints against specific leaders there that I that I experienced abuse from. And their attitude was, well, we're going to be rolling out leadership management training next year. So if you can hold tight until then, maybe they'll stop being abusive. And I'm like, that's not going to do any, that's no. not going to do a damn thing, especially when people who were reported for their abusive behavior often uh, knew who was reporting them because the teams were smallish mm-hmm. and then just escalated the abuse as a result. Right. And like, it, that, that's not exactly something that you can like train out of someone, really. That's right. just kind of like who someone is, really. And that's going to be like translated into like their work in the company. And, you know, right. Like, and then, and they down. are, and they were that way because they adapted to what worked for them to survive in that space at the cost of other people. Mm-hmm. So until you get rid of them, there's not a whole lot you can do because they're never going to learn, uh, shake off that behavior. And I know that, um, Pete from the, the new CEO, Holly, um, yeah, yeah. I I certainly I left right pretty much after he he uh, joined, um, and I was told by a lot of people that were there that a lot of the core people who were the biggest toxic influences in the company left or were fired from him, mm. uh, and that Pete was trying to correct the what he saw was a huge culture problem. Um, now I think that ultimately, honestly, like. The culture problem was the biggest issue in retaining talent, but I think that the biggest challenges that company had were just putting out product that, despite creative vision, was not up to par with what a double or triple A company should be putting out there. And I think that ultimately, if the product was a more polished, refined experience that had the time to really make it the best possible version of what that is... Um, I think that that company wouldn't have been hemorrhaging money. The problem is ultimately when you are running your, when you're creatively running your company to that degree where you're throwing out months and months of work as a regular thing on every project, it's no surprise that your budget bloats. It's like a movie, right? Like when you hear about movies that um, like the Green Lantern film, for example, I always look to that as an example of like a film that did okay at the box office. But then when you look at how much it costs uh, to make and then you add on the extra marketing budget and the extra money that they spent on reshoots because they were panicked and worried and paranoid about it doing badly it bloated the movie up to like a 300 plus million dollar budget as opposed to like a 120 million dollar budget so like its return at the box office was good for a 120 million dollar movie not a 300 million dollar movie right so it was a failure even though it looked like it did okay it was a failure from just a a, a booking standpoint and that was the biggest problem with Telltale. Ultimately, everything, the way they developed games and the way they were convinced was the, the, the secret to their success, in my mind, all learned from, all, they learned a lot of bad lessons from The Walking Dead succeeding. And so then they go, oh, we'll just repeat this pattern over and over and over again, and it'll, it'll be, it's the secret to our success. And then you look at the game sale numbers, and you can see that the only games that ultimately turned a profit were Minecraft Story Mode, and then a title they published for someone else called Seven Days to Die. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Every, every other project did not turn a profit because the the amount of money they spent making and marketing it was higher than the amount that they got back on it. Uh, and that's, to me, a bigger lesson I've learned about, like, because a lot of people are discoursing about, about interactive narratives and their future 
in this industry. Um, I think ultimately the biggest challenge it has is this sort of hand wringing, second guessing thing that happens on a lot of game projects. Um, Firewatch was another example that people don't talk often about, about how that ending came about in the 11th hour out of paranoia. Hmm. Um, that it wasn't going to resonate with people. Yeah, so they had they, they they had like a couple of endings like on the table. I remember when when they were when they were mm-hmm. like developing that game. So, um, but uh, I, I you know just kind of get into like the um, into like the culture issue actually uh, because um, you know I, I've been seeing like a lot of people like who you know who worked at Telltale like on Twitter kind of talking about like you know about like how like the culture was and like how this is like not only just like a Telltale issue but like an industry issue as well. So mm-hmm. um, I, I was kind of kind of curious on your take with that, especially like you know, with, you know with someone who worked at Telltale but also still very much in the gaming industry yourself yeah i definitely think that the you know if you're talking about the way in which telltale staff was let go um or even even the um sort of unfair expectations to work at a level that i don't think is is tenable um i think that this industry has a bigger problem with just undervaluing and overworking creatives in general and i think that telltale just became a poster child for that because they were operating with the same sort of unhealthy binge and purge uh, methodology that most game studios operate with, but on a, on a like a speed dating level, like it's every month it was crunch every, every single month. There was no breathing room for them to even be able to like enjoy their life or have downtime or do much of anything. Cause it was constantly, Oh no, we got another thing. We got to ship today. And, and if you ever take off vacation, even though they had unlimited PTO there, uh, there, anytime you actually try to take it, you often were guilted about it because there was never a good time to take vacation. There was never a good time to be sick. There was never a good time to be a human right. because you're always inconveniencing their their incredibly razor thin production schedule. And that's kind of like typical, honestly. Like I feel like in a lot of um, in a lot of like kind of office cultures, really. Uh, but I feel like with the gaming industry, that's kind of like tenfold because of how strict that like deadlines are and all that to kind of like abide by. Right. It seems like the games industry tends to be the worst elements of tech, tech, the tech industry and the worst elements of the entertainment industry without any of the benefits or like unions or anything like that. You right. Know? Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. I definitely think that like I, that's going to be a really hard thing to, to really make that kind of change. But I, I'm really happy to see Game Workers Unite doing really good work out there trying to like kind of rally the troops and really get people talking about this because it's something that needs to be talked about. I mean, I don't, obviously people can discourse all day long about, about how useful or beneficial um, unions are, but I feel like the current methodology of just all the power being in the hands of the employer, everything there, you really don't have a lot of choices when you're uh, uh, working in a creative field in the games industry. You just don't have a lot of options. Um, And there is this sense of, if you don't like it, leave anytime there is a, a complaint being aired. Yeah. And like one of the most um, vocal people, like, uh, you know, like since like the Telltale closure has been Emily Grace Buck. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I've been following her pretty closely, actually, just because um, I feel like she's been saying like, you know, like a lot of the right things and has really been kind of like a champion, really, for like the former Telltale employees um, to kind of like get them back on their feet. And uh, it's kind of like make sure that they can like feed their families pretty much. Like it's, it's really dire, but um, well, that's, the, and that's the thing about the telltale situation that makes it particularly um, egregious is that, you know, layoffs and studio closures ha- have been happening a lot, especially lately mm-hmm. in the games industry. But the problem is telltale notoriously paid people below industry standard wages in one of the most expensive co- uh, cities in the country. 
and and a lot and a lot of the people who got laid off were kids straight out of college who basically were have been living paycheck to paycheck and were barely making it anyway because of how much Telltale was paying them. And now they're they're left with no severance and no health insurance. And are pro- a lot of people are probably going to be evicted from their apartment this next month because mm. how do you have st- how do you accumulate savings when you're getting paid super low wages and working all the time? You don't even have the time to build your portfolio that you need to be able to go find other work elsewhere. Were the you know, wages just, just like just like not up to like the standard that like people should be making when living in San- in the you know in, in like the Bay Area, basically? Especially in a tech company or game studio, I feel I. I I, as a marketing person, I was severely underpaid, um, I, and I definitely made a, a pretty significant leap up when I left there, um, and I'm certainly not working the kind of hours that I was working at Telltale. So, and, and I feel like marketing and PR people tend to get it easy compared to the creative people. So, like, everybody I talked to who worked in, like, you know, who was, like, an animator or a, a cinematographer or any of the other like people who actually worked on the final game and made the game happen. A lot of them tended to get under underpaid and undervalued too, because they had this attitude that their prestige was the, the pay, you know, mm. the, the glory of working at telltale. I mean, I know I heard uh, people, especially at the top uh, say on more than one occasion when people would come to them and saying, Hey, can we please spread this release calendar out a little bit? People are like getting basically they're you're killing them. Mm-hmm. Um, would respond with if they don't want to work uh, uh, with one of some of the biggest brands in entertainment, then they can get the f out. Was the attitude, and that kind of thing is something that I know executives say to themselves or think that, but it's like don't broadcast that attitude. It completely kills morale if you're going to dismiss people's complaints and issues that way, you know. And that and but that was the attitude. You're lucky to be here. I mean, especially with like how how vocal people are on, on like social media now, and like how um, how more and more people I feel like are, are listening to like you know things like such, uh, such as like with like mental health, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's kind of like a big thing that like a lot of people I feel like are paying more attention to and you know putting more uh, more credence into as well. And it was definitely a gauntlet of emotional abuse working there. <laughs> like you had your you had your fellow employees that you would connect with and be like, "We're all in this together, band of brothers." Yeah, but. A lot of it was their methodology for getting by was like to gaslight people, to to be super passive aggressive, to dangle your job in front of you on the regular if you weren't willing to put up with, you know, a ton of other abuse or like, you know, there was this this kind of thing of like, it felt like Game of Thrones, ironically <laughs> enough. Jeez, yeah. <laughs> uh, it felt like an emotional, uh, 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 abusive situation where you constantly had to watch what you say and did. Mm. And people, you know, you would occasionally see somebody crying in the hallway um you would hear about me i personally got you know en- enough abuse from my uh people in my department that were particularly awful and cruel and abusive to i developed a pretty bad ulcer my doctor was like you're basically like killing yourself you have to stop <laughs> this is too stressful and anxiety inducing for you and i'm like that was the point where i'm like when when i'm coughing up blood Due to the stress and anxiety of the crap that I'm being put up with, to just get to go write tweets for a game company, <laughs> that's messed up. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not the only one. I know a lot of the people who are more creatively invested in the company went through similar experiences. So, like, there was definitely a – you could see how a few people at the right point points of leadership there could create a, a really negative environment that everyone else there either buckled under and left 
or they stayed and thrived in that unhealthy environment. Um, and now I fear for those people, those, those particularly toxic people where they're going next. Mm-hmm. Um, cause they're going to poison wherever they go next. Yeah. If they can go anywhere. I mean, the, the, the good, the good, bad thing about the games industry, it is, it is still very small. Um, and it is still very about who, you know, and your relationships and your reputation as to what opportunities you have. And I do know that there are particular individuals that are poisonous who basically have been blacklisted in a lot of cases because it's not a it's not a big secret that their behave that they were bad at their jobs and and cruel to people and fake and awful and you know they're as a result they're go, you know not everybody some people certainly are <laughs> getting to move up or or laterally you know to other other companies and we'll, it'll be interesting to watch them how they can torpedo that place too but. Um, most people that worked there were pretty great. And that part most of the, the Telltale 250 deserved to have other jobs. They were super talented and worked under very, very harsh uh, conditions to try to make something they could be proud of. And I feel like leadership just undermined them at every point. Hmm. Um, so like, what, like, what would you say then in that case, like when, um, you know, cause like with, with like the telltale Twitter, uh, like they, they seem mm-hmm. to kind of put more of a, more of an emphasis on, Oh, don't worry. We're going to make sure that the walking dead final season gets like completed. Um, but they face like a lot of backlash, like when people like Corey Bar- Barlog, for, for example, like mm-hmm. who was like the creative director for, uh, for God of War, um, you know, and, and plenty of other people as well, but, but him especially, uh, saying that like how, uh, they, they need to put more of a focus on making sure that they, that they take care of the people who they let go with no severance. Um, right. so like that's. I don't know, like that, like what, what, what would you say? I guess, like in regards to like the company that you are associated with, um, seemingly putting more of, of an emphasis on their product rather than their people. Well, it's because I, I feel at least this is my my theory based on what I was able to observe and what I know about this industry as a whole. I feel like their the ship has sailed on them willfully paying their the people they laid off what they're owed. Um, currently there is a class action lawsuit being filed by former telltale employees, mm-hmm. um, in order to get the, that, those benefits and that back pay. But, uh, in terms of expecting them to do that on their own, they're not going to do it. They would have done it if they were going to do it. They, they certainly gave severance to the people they laid off back in November when they had any money, but clearly they don't have any money in the bank right now that they're comfortable giving to people, especially the amount of people they laid off. Um, the thing is that Telltale is um, technically an independently owned company, but with a board of directors by people who, uh, uh, who are in primary investors, the major one being Lionsgate. Um, the, the problem is they don't want to give them any more money because they've been sinking money into this operation for years now, and it's not been turning a profit, clearly. Um, the the big frustrating thing is that like they knew this was going to be something that was likely to happen and they did not plan ahead for if their deals that they tried to negotiate fell through because they were clearly meeting with a couple of companies in the hopes that they could give them an influx of cash in order to keep operating and all of those fell through because they looked at the numbers and saw that the company hasn't been profitable in years like anybody, when they get the data, they're going to go, no, this is a bad investment. No, thank you. There's nothing that Telltale is doing that's that inherently unique that other companies haven't already picked up on. You know, there's a Madden game with a, an interactive narrative mode 
you know, with choices and consequences and stuff. Like, Telltale definitely had a lot of talented people working there, but what they were creating was not inherently unique to Telltale anymore. And so when you're looking at a company that can't really offer an entirely unique product and isn't profitable... Like, why would anybody want to give them more money? Yeah, um, which which is, which is like a really good point, honestly, because like the narrative focus in games has certainly ramped up. Uh, so, you know, so, you know, certainly after the the success of Telltale, like um, with uh, with like The Walking Dead season one and going forward. Um, but um, like, like, would you say that? Um, like, would you say that uh, that that like the adventure genre as we know it uh, is more or less dead, or just has it evolved into something else that? you know, than then how it was like before when, you know, when like Telltale kind of picked up the reins from like LucasArts and, and studios like that. Well, I feel like there's definitely room for, if you're thinking about more traditional point and click adventure experiences, the, obviously there's, there's people like Wajidai out there still doing it. They're just doing it for a lot less money. And they know that they have a bit of a, a small but dedicated audience, people who really like that experience and want to keep having it, but don't necessarily have to throw AAA production values at it because of the potential return on a game like this is not huge. The biggest problem is gamers a lot of times don't want to just play a story where you occasionally make choices. They, that's, that is a, a, a bullet point on a bigger gameplay experience. And so you have to accept the fact that there's only so much you can do to refine or evolve that concept bef- uh, and still engage people because it's still going to feel like an, a movie where you're occasionally making choices. If you look, people always point to um, the the what is the the one that Sony put out um, a little while back, um, Until Dawn. Dawn. Yeah, yeah. They always point to that as the evolution of the Telltale formula, and the problem is, uh, Until Dawn was a horribly over budgeted uh, vaporware game that managed to still get put out, and people responded to it but it did not make a profit because it was originally going to be a PS3 move game and it was, it was delayed a bunch of times and they were waffling about whether or not it was even going to get finished. It was going to be something that was, there was a point where they were going to cancel it. And then they finally were like, fine, we'll just put it out there, whatever. And they had no confidence in it. And then it ended up being really popular, but that's Sony with Sony money backing it. Like (laughs) they can, they can afford to make games that are of a certain caliber that don't necessarily have to sell like gangbusters because they view it as a, a loss leader to push the hardware. But I think third-party developers are going to have a much harder time making something like that and making a profit off of it because I, just, I think there is a, uh, a bit of a plateau that these types of games reach in terms of their output because there's ultimately there's only so much you can do to convince somebody to, that, that it is a game. You know, because there's always that de- that debate about, oh, it's all you're doing is just picking stuff out of a menu and a story's happening. Like, it's hard to get past that. So, to me, at least as somebody making an interactive narrative <laughs> adventure <laughs> game thing, I go, well, then this isn't for you. This right, is for, right. This is for the maybe, hopefully. I mean, at least if you look at the numbers, a lot of Telltale games tend to sell. the 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 lower performing ones are like twenty to thirty thousand active purchases um and if you think about that it's like okay well if you make a game with that audience in mind and and are okay with that much of a return with that many users then yeah you can still turn a profit it's like it's like an indie film you know you're not going to necessarily put a hundred thousand dollars into a weird quirky alternative comedy um because you know that there's only so many people you can reach with that 
I mean, you um, kind of have to like adjust like the budget really to accommodate for that if you like recognize that, and that's that, that, right. Like honestly, that kind of feels like something that Telltale was, I guess, what it was like missing really, like in its later years. It certainly feels like they were convinced of their own that their that their success was of certain factors that actually were actively the reason why they failed. You know, <laughs> like yeah. they were just convinced that their that their flaws were their greatest assets. You know, mm. it's like somebody saying, oh, my b- biggest character flaws. I care too much. I just, I'm yeah. too invested. You're like, okay, hold on. Yeah. It's not, not a bug. Being, it's the feature kind of thing. Yeah. You're not, you're not <laughs> being honest with yourself right now. Yeah. And, and that, that's certainly what it felt like. I think a lot of the people who worked there knew the score. They knew what was, what was up, but what were they going to do to change that? When the people who were most convinced that they should continue doing what they were doing were the very people they, they were, that were impossible to reach with that message, you know? Which is why a lot of people, I think, you know, they got, they did it for a while. They, they cut their teeth. They learned their lessons. They had their experiences that they, that they value for the rest of their lives. You know, myself included in my own weird capacity. Um, and then you move on because you realize that that's not, a, it's not a place you can call home forever right. because it's just not a healthy home for mm-hmm. a lot of people. You eventually uh, and, have to do do right by by yourself, really. In that case, right, and and that's where you get things like Oxenfree and um, Firewatch, and you know, there's certainly a crew of people who were very integral to the to the Walking Dead and post Walking Dead era that went on to Ubisoft, for instance. They're working on a project that it'll be interesting to see what they do uh, in a place that supports them maybe a bit better. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I feel like the the legacy of Telltale is. Um, compromised product made by very talented people under incredibly unreasonable circumstances. And, and that's a bittersweet way for, to reflect on the company. Cause they really, there was some moments of brilliance and, uh, in every project. Um, I think that to me, I always look back and like, if, if your listeners haven't played tales in the borderlands, you're missing out on what is secretly the best thing that they've ever made. Yeah, um, I, I would I would agree with that honestly. And like, as I played through just recently, and um, it was uh, it, it was really interesting because like you know in in that uh, post uh, post Telltale world now playing through this game, I was actually kind of seeing a lot of the parallels uh, with the uh, culture of Hyperion compared to what I was mm-hmm. hearing like what was happening in, in um, you know inside of a, a Telltale. Um, and as, as you being like a big, like Borderlands fan yourself, um, would you like attest to that, I guess, like with Telltale almost being like Hyperion like, I guess, in its culture? Well, I can, I can say at least anecdotally, um, having gotten to work somewhat briefly with the people making that project, I started, well, uh, I started at the company right before episode three shipped. So I got to work with people and like kind of the second half of the, of the series production and it's hard to not see the parallels with, especially when you consider Reese's story um, being that of somebody trying to figure out how to navigate an inherently toxic environment in order to survive and succeed. And he compromises a lot of what he care, what he, what he really honestly believes. He, he abandons a lot of, of who he is in an attempt to become somebody who can succeed in this space until ultimately he realizes through the relationships he built outside of that space that, Oh, Hey, this isn't who I am. And the person I was idolizing previously is actually a monster. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And so I can definitely, I, I personally read it as handsome Jack is telltale. Right. (laughs) It's interesting take right there. (laughs) And and all, and only through completely removing that toxic influence out of your head, out of your life, and trying to believe in yourself for who you are, can you really 
like live a healthy, productive life. And that's, that's what makes that ending of Reese pulling the cybernetic eye out of his face slowly while, <laughs> while his boss is barking at him about how he can't do any better. He's, he needs him. Yeah. You're, you're nothing without me. You know, there is certainly rich, rich parallels. <laughs> <For sure>. uh, <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I think if you're, if any listener who hasn't played it yet, like I, I understand there's a murkiness about the idea of spending money on a telltale product at this point, because the money is not going to anyone who helped who, who they've hurt. Um, go buy, you know what, go buy a used PS4 or Xbox one season pass disc, because it's one of the only season pass discs they put out that had the whole season on it. Hmm. Okay. So if you buy that, you will not be giving the money, but you'll be experiencing what is ultimately like, I feel like it's similar to Scott Pilgrim for Edgar Wright. It's like this thing nobody experienced ultimately and they missed out on, but later on they're like, Oh wow, this is actually really brilliant. Yeah. Um, so I highly recommend that game and especially, you know, re- reflecting on it for me has been a bit catharsis because it, it definitely turned out to be more poignant than ever about that company. I mean, there's even a moment in it where in episode four, when you, when the uh, Helios is going down, one of the first self-destruct sequences uh, is the, the, the AI on the ship going, we're venting, venting shore into space, which, <laughs> which shore is the shorthand for the cinematic artist team that were the core people. They were kind of the, the foot soldiers, the, the biggest department in the company, the people who actually made the game. Ultimately, they assembled all the parts that other departments made and were the ones crafting each scene. They're the ones who got paid the least and worked the most and were the ones who were thrown away the fastest whenever right. things went down. So I think it was very like, they clearly knew what they were doing with putting that kind of stuff in the game. You know, yeah. it was self satire, I guess in a sense. <laughs> it, it's sort of like that whole thing of like, ha ow, that hurt. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is fine. <laughs> this right. Is right. Coffee. If you can't, if you can't painfully laugh at your own uh, unfortunate, you know, situation you're in, then how else do you cope with it? But yeah, well, that's where, like, where, where, where like the best comedy comes from. And tales from the warlands is like, definitely like the funniest telltale game mm-hmm. by far. So yeah. Really, and, really um, and weirdly emotionally uh resonant i feel like the that the comedy helps sort of like transition you into these moments that actually super work emotionally uh more so than i think some of the other more grim and dark and and kind of abusive telltale titles because again they learned a lot of bad lessons from walking dead succeeding which was you need to put people through the ringer and have everyone hate you no matter what you do and have and, and it's about showing how dark and gritty we are versus like this drama in borderlands through the fact that you don't want to see these characters you've grown to love through the funny moments, go through the things they have to go through, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it kind of like, you know, it, it's, it's that kind of like leveling as far as like bringing you through like the highest of highs and lowest of lows, like where, you know, whereas like with like the walking dead, for example, if it's just like low, 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 um, eventually that kind of like wears down on you and like, you know, you have yeah. to kind of take a break from it really. That yeah. Like season, season one had those moments where like you're hanging out with Clementine or like shooting the breeze with, with, uh, Kenny or whatever that were the, the, the scene with, uh, with, uh, du- duck doing the whole like Batman like and Robin duck. thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That was the moment that you totally needed to have. Cause then other, then by the time he ends up getting, you know, eating it, uh, you felt something, you know, you need those moments of levity, those, those human moments. And cause being human isn't all about just, I mean, I think that telltale sort of was mimicking a lot of the things that were 
the, the leadership at least was forcing a sort of vision on these projects that were very similar to a lot of prestige TV. And I think that those also make a lot of mistakes in that department of, of being abusive to your audience of just being like, see, we're art. We can just show how dark and messed up humanity is without any relenting moments. Like it just, I don't know. I, as somebody who really loved a lot of earlier telltale games, especially, and I loved borderlands and I even think Wolf among us managed a, a good balance of, of moments of levity and, and heart along with the dark stuff. Um, I just think they lost the, the, the thread in a lot of these projects. And it wasn't for lack of creative people trying to make that happen. I mean, as somebody who got to watch the Batman Telltale se- series slowly get sanded down into something way less unique than what it started off as, it was a real huge bummer to watch the, pro- the, the how the sausage was made because you really understood that like, oh, this isn't, these products are not necessarily the the creative vision of the people making it. They are the compromise made by people who wanted to make something really unique, constantly getting beaten down by the by the creative process by people who really don't know what they're talking about. Let's be real. Like, like I guess, in like in this case, like the sausage world, where like the people themselves being kind of grounded up, like in order to make the product happen. I much. mean, <laughs> they certainly, and there are a lot of people who who put up with that for a long, long time, and I respect them for you know focusing on what they on on what they were trying to make and accepting what they couldn't change and really doing the best they can and 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 really being able to make peace with that and and still be proud of what they were making i respect the hell out of it i personally i was i was more because i'm a very empathetic person i always got so frustrated about the situation because it seemed so fixable mm-hmm. um and yet the very people who could fix it were just that's not an option Right. They were, or they weren't like willing to. Um, so I, I guess like for people like, who are like on the outside looking in, um, you know, and, and obviously like with how vocal that people are like on social media, um, mm-hmm. what can like your average person do, I guess, in order to help out like the people who are like let go in this case or like um, or, or like anything, I guess, like in a sense to, um, you know, kind of like make things better, like in a very wrong situation? Um, really, I mean, the only thing you can do is make your your concern for the the staff heard um certainly uh keep that in mind sort of where that money is going to be going if you do choose to purchase season four of the walking dead once it gets put back on the market maybe uh, i still have questions about whether or not that actually will happen i know like skybound uh kind of like bought um I i think like took over the project basically and like they're looking to kind of get like a lot of the same people i think on board to finish it uh from what i've heard that that's certainly the public discussion but as to how that's actually going to work out and, and whether or not it does work out i think that it's too soon to be able to really to really be able to say anything about whether or not they're saving this i my my dark you know dark time darkest timeline uh expectations for what will happen is because i know how expensive it will be to finish those two episodes um even with the work that's been done on it so far it's still going to be a cost a lot of money to finish them and I also know that most of the money spent on a on a season of Telltale um, is spent at the beginning when the season premieres. So I really question how beneficial this will be for anyone involved, other than to make right to the customers who already spent their money. Right. So I don't I don't know how I have a hard time believing that they could actually that Skybound has the means to fund the rest of this nor should they really because it's not really in their best it's in their best interest to see this finished because the walking dead property and the series 
uh, the Telltale series has a lot of like uh, a lot of a lot of goodwill from people, and it and it benefits them as the people who own the comic book rights to the series to have this not be unfinished. But I, I am just just be skeptical. Be be don't believe everything you're told by a company brand Twitter account. Don't assume things are going to work out the way they tell you, and don't don't buy into this being the way to make it right what they've done because they still again 250 people out of a job many of which are probably going to have to go live with their parents or couch surf or god forbid be homeless until they find their next gig right it's not okay it's not right and and prioritizing finishing this season over those people is to me morally bankrupt you know, I'm not telling people don't go experience that content because people worked very hard to make it so far and people will still work very hard to make it. But keep in mind who you're rewarding when you spend the money on that. And maybe consider putting that money towards one of the various uh, coffee accounts people have made. Um, right. If you follow Emily Grace Buck on Twitter, uh, she should have a Google Doc that she's linked to that has everybody's coffee pages. It's sort of like um, Patreon without a subscription element. You can just give money pe- to people without fees or anything um, to be able to help support them. Some of the more um, in in dire need Telltale staffers have their accounts on there and they'll even tell you like what they need it for. Often it's rent or health insurance, health uh, needs. Um, but yeah, if you can even toss 10, 15 bucks towards somebody That'll make a world of difference. We had a few people that were particularly uh, in such a bad way that, like, uh, she was one of the people that worked on the, on the, in the uh, custodial team, and she had her mother pass away the same week. She also lost her job and Jeez. also was getting paid like next to nothing. And and telltalers and the, the supportive people in the community came together and actually ended up helping her out big time. And so, like, it's been really great to see people coming together and recognizing that the, the priority should be on the human cost of this, not mm-hmm. whether or not I get, my, I get my video game right. finished. You know? yeah. Like that's also bad too. They should not, people should be able to get a refund yeah. if their thing isn't getting fixed which, and they um, should make right. Which, which, yeah. which I think like the, the only way to do that is if you, if you, if, you know, if you bought the game through steam. So like, and, and I know you can do like steam refunds and like they, they do look on those like on a case by case basis, as far as I recall anyway, with how like the steam refund policy goes. Uh, but other, the, uh, one, mm-hmm. one dirty thing about that though, is on steam. If you've played it for two hours or more, you automatically are not able to get a refund. And guess how long the first two episodes of The Walking Dead final season is? Right, it's two plus hours, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it's not it's it's gonna be a, p- a pain for anybody to get the refund. And that's yeah. not right. Yeah. Um I mean, hopefully now, Steam like does make like a like a change to that, like in this particular case anyway. So and, and another thing that concerns me also is that the people who might get hired from the staff to work on this, if it does get funded and made by Skybound is whether or not they're getting paid livable wages because I suspect that's going to be, you know, I, I just, I don't know how all of this works out. Mm-hmm. And I'm just from the, I'm from the outside as much as anybody else at this point. But what I know about how much an episode of the walking dead or any telltale game costs to make, even, even with the pre-production work that had been done on, on the last part of it, it's still a lot of money. And I worry that people are going to continue to get ex- uh, exploited one last time. And just so that people can get their remaining two episodes. And to me, that's not worth it. Right. Um, I would rather, 
I would rather Robert Kirkman just do a comic book that yeah. wraps the story up for people. I'd be down for that. Also. Lives. Yeah. Um, so like for, you know, as we were mentioning before with like Emily Grace Buck, uh, be, be sure to check her out at, uh, at Emily Buckshot, uh, on Twitter, uh, for like the like list of like telltale, uh, coffee accounts or, or coffee accounts. And, um, yeah, and uh, you know that's uh, yeah, and I think like aside from like supporting people however you can, whether it's through like financial means or through like just like your words, uh, just try just, you know just try to be understanding and just try to be nice to to these people because they were the reason why you got to enjoy a lot of these games, um, you know, and it, it it goes a long way just like that human kindness because obviously that human kindness wasn't wasn't given to them for the most part. It feels like uh, within yeah. the company themselves, so like it, you know it, it goes a long way when, when the public can actually like rally behind like these people like who are responsible for the, for their enjoyment really so I mean, yeah they're the people who made these memorable stories happen you know and if you care then you care about the people not the not the logo not the brand it's the people right um i know that there are several people uh, groups of people that have gone on i know like mark darren was somebody who was very integral to a lot of core telltale projects like the wolf among us walking dead borderlands and the like and he's super talented he just launched a kickstarter for a project that he's been working on mm. uh so look him up on twitter if, you, if you're interested in what he's making and you're, you're interested in more, like sort of what the what people are going to be making post telltale that's a great place to start maybe go give him five bucks for his kickstarter and show support that way um i, I think that's super important to at the very least really give the love to people who made those things that you care about on their next venture because telltale didn't value them enough right right um, and on like lighter news anyway, uh, you have like your own company as well, Daxend. Uh, so that's a Daxend.com. If you want to find, you can find more information on, uh, on the game that you're working on right now called Slipstream Scalawags. Um, and this is a game that we talked about like in a previous episode of our cast, uh, when we had you on for like our adventure episode, basically. Um, so what can you tell like people about like, you know, about the game as well as like how, uh, how like progress of that is going, is coming along? Sure, sure. Yeah, we're uh, we're making good progress. We're shooting for 2019 release date, and don't exactly have an exact window locked in, but we're making steady progress. Um, it's, so it's a it's sort of a throwback to sort of more Lucas Art style point and click adventure games, but with a lot of visual novel uh, sort of uh, narrative mechanics uh, and and sort of emphasizing your uh, you building relationships with people. So it uh, that element of the game is sort of inspired by Mass Effect and Persona where it's all about the more time you spend with people, the closer you grow to them. And then that opens up optional story sequences that, that based on your relationship to people. And also your relationships will factor into specific sequences where everybody's having, uh, you're on a, you're on a pirate crew, a space pirate crew. Um, and there'll be sequences where you're kind of going up against other ships and you're getting a weigh in on how things should be handled along with the rest of the crew and people's, uh, sentiment towards you can factor into whether or not they kind of back you in your idea of what you should do versus theirs or what have you. And those sort of optional story moments will happen based on on how you've grown to attach to people. There's no negative sentiment necessarily. There's more just like people who can be ambivalent towards you or feel more fondly towards you and therefore kind of give uh, back you up whenever you need it. Um, but it's, it's more about uh, emphasizing sort of... Um, empathy and and building relationships with people and how we live in an increasingly unempathetic world <laughs> and uh of people who don't want to admit that they're bad people and would rather just paint good people out to be bad in order to further their narrative and that's sort of i think that that to me that's been the biggest thematic element in my life in general both personally professionally and on a macro societal level is 
we are dealing with people who are really good at lying and really good at controlling their image. And to me, I feel like that's something that certainly was a big factor in thematically in Tales from the Borderlands and something that I want to make a priority in tackling with uh, Slipstream Scalawags is talking about how perception is not reality and often people um, who are pe- bad people can control people, other people in society at large if they're really good at controlling the narrative. Uh, I think we can all kind of understand sort of what the bigger, what I might be referencing on a bigger level. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, our president is somebody who's very good at manipulating people and controlling the narrative. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's a big issue that we all should be having a bigger conversation about. And I want to hopefully reach people with that and really kind of get, empower people to sort of fight back against those, the compulsive lies of those who want to hurt us and make us look be, uh, to be awful. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, it's hard to stay diligent in that, in the face of uh, that kind of gaslighting. For sure. Um, so yeah, that's, I, that sounds very heavy, but our game is full of uh, very, uh, extremely online humor <laughs> and um, it's, 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 it's humorous more often than it is serious, but much like tales from the borderlands, much like an Edgar Wright film, we always want to have there be this sort of balancing act of humor, reinforcing the dramatic moments and making you care more about the characters because the characters are priority versus p- being uh, overly emphasizing plot and theme. Cause that, that stuff will come if you're making strong characters that you want to see interact with uh, on a regular basis. So but yeah, that's that's Slipstream Scalawags. You can actually, um, we have a Patreon um, open where you can get art commissions, all sorts of cool bonuses um, for giving us a few bucks a month if you'd like. Um, but that's at daxnd.com and then uh, patreon.com forward slash daxnd. Sounds good. And um, I know it's you as well as Jet Boogan who also worked at Telltale uh, working on this game, actually. So. Correct. Yeah, they were a cinematic artist on, and they worked a lot on Borderlands, that big sort of creative force but there we're, we're i'm writing it doing music for it we're co-designing it they're doing art and programming and i mean we have, you have to do everything when you're an independent developer <laughs> <laughs> for so. sure for sure yeah yeah we're we're m- many hats in that case mm-hmm. uh but that's that's very much of a game like for for people like who are missing like kind of like the good old telltale days, days i guess and like kind of seeing like where uh where like those narrative based games are going uh, this is like certainly like one option for sure with slipstream scalawags um you know so again that's daxon.com d-a-x-n-d.com uh so yeah then um you know that's that's basically uh like you know like our mini right there so where can people go like to uh to find you online there nathan uh i'm on twitter at kenji salk that's k-e-n-j-i-s-l-k sorry it's a bit of a mouthful but i <laughs> is uh it's a real real otaku hardcore name that i've had since for like 15 almost 20 years now i'm like well i guess i could change it but whatever yeah <laughs> um but uh, yeah i'm on i'm on pretty much every social media platform with that handle uh kenji salk Awesome, awesome. And uh, if you want to find more episodes of, of the Arcast, you can find it at retrozap.com slash Arcast. Uh, I won't go into the full, the full spiel that I usually go to because uh, this, uh, this mini has definitely gone on for, uh, for, for pretty long here. <laughs> but uh, I think we got like a lot of great, uh, you know, great talk out of this. And, um, you know, hopefully people like, you know, kind of have like more of an understanding really uh, as far as like what's, you know, what's been going on uh, with like the Telltale situation, but also like with uh, with like the whole gaming industry situation that we kind of find ourselves into, and um, and uh, you know, I think this has been you know been like a great talk. So thanks for joining me for this, Nathan. Yeah, happy to be here, man. Thanks. There's no starting over, no beginnings. Time raises all. Just gotta keep on keeping on. Gotta keep on going, looking straight out on the road.
What's up, everyone? I'm Chris from Weekly Games Chat. Along with my co-hosts, Sean and John, we cover the latest video games every Wednesday for your listening pleasure. We also make sure to rant about the latest movies, TV shows, and happenings in the sports world. If you like the show, catch one of our live streams on Twitch, follow us on Twitter, or even take the biggest jump of all and join our community on Discord. All found by simply searching Weekly Games Chat. Until then, I'll simply say game on in your mom's box. 